Hello and welcome to the Mission Mindset. It's the Alpha Ireland Podcast. It's John Quinn here with you again. Wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us on another wonderful uh, November Friday. It's brilliant to be with you. Uh, thank you so much for coming back. We are so excited to be bringing you all the highlights from the Alpha Ireland Conference AIC 22 Multiply, which happened in September, and we're delighted to be releasing some of the key talks uh, from that conference. Not everyone was able to make it. It was a solid conference, so I know a lot of people have been asking, even the ones who were there, um, for some of the highlights to be able to listen back to it, and boy, do we have another wonderful highlight for you. The last time out, we had our keynote talk, which is from uh, Father Columba Jordan. Listen back to that um, if you haven't done so already, and this one is another powerful one from uh, Reverend Owen Heaslip of St. Catherine's Church. We uh, had the event in St. Catherine's Church and we were delighted to have Owen Heaslip open the conference uh, and he was talking about uh, just exactly how you can envision a church for mission. What does it mean to be envisioned for mission? What does mission mean in Ireland today? What, is, what does it mean to be a disciple and what we're doing? And it's a really profound and powerful, challenging talk that he gives. Uh, he's so passionate for the Lord. He's so passionate for people to come to know the Lord and everything. So uh, we're delighted that Emily from our team was uh, able to introduce him on the day and have a little bit of a, a brief conversation with him at the start to find out a little bit more about who he is. And then he goes into to, um, a really powerful talk so again as always sit down and relax with a cup of tea or go out for a walk with the dogs whatever it is that you're going to do um i'd kind of encourage you to have a pen and paper or you know have notes open on your phone uh to listen to this because there's some really great stuff that's in here now it's reverend own he's lip and envisioning a church for mission it's great to see everybody here this morning uh, my name's emily morrissey and i'm part of the alpha ireland team and I am delighted to welcome um, our speaker this morning who's going to open the conference. Um, Owen Heaslip is the rector in charge here in St. Catharines. Um, and I've known Owen um, for many years. And I just want to welcome him up and let you know. Just I'm going I'm to ask him a few questions so we can get to know him before we start. But Owen, before he was a rector, was and is a worship leader and a very talented songwriter. And I just wanted to say that his heart for the Lord has been, um, how would I describe it? Desire to be intimate with the Holy Spirit, a desire to know Jesus, and a desire that all those that he comes in contact with would know um, the love of Jesus. So, Owen, welcome. Welcome. So, I'm going to just ask you just a few questions. Just, I suppose, could you tell us a little bit about your journey um, to faith your family, um, where you come from, a little bit like that. Yeah, well, I grew up, uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I, um, I, I grew up in Skerries in, in North County, Dublin. And uh, at the ripe age of uh, 11, my dad decided he was going to pack in being a secondary school teacher, get ordained in, uh, as the Church of Ireland rector, and moved to Westport in County Mayo. Now, everyone, every time I say that, everyone goes, oh, Westport's beautiful. In 1988, it wasn't. <laughs> the, the, sorry, if anyone's from the West here, I love the West. My mom lives in the West. I'm there all the time. But it's like, everyone, oh, Westport's amazing. And so, anyway, uh, that's where I did all my secondary school. And uh, I suppose at that time, I think a fair summary is that I wanted nothing to do with church. I wanted nothing to do with God. 
and I was living a life that was, uh, it was a real, a double life. I was kind of acting one way when I was at home with my mum and dad, my sister Kathy, and then actually when it came to going out and going to school and everything, I was wild, I was into everything. I was lying and stealing, I was, I was escaping into the bottle and to, to drugs and to everything, and I was just, I was a nightmare. And the year this church was planted, uh, actually, it, it started further down uh, towards the city. Uh, the year this church was planted, uh, I was, it kind of coincided with me finishing my, my leaving cert and moving back to Dublin. And in one final act of desperation, I think my parents said, let's at least find him digs in a house where, you know, where we, we know where he's going to be at night. Um, and uh, we know the family. And it was the family, Willie and Ruth Stewart, that planted St. Catherine's. Um, a long time ago, and um, I did half of the first Alpha course. I realized what was it meant and where it was leading, and it was on the second Alpha course that I made a decision to follow Jesus with my own life for the first time. And uh, so I suppose that's a real whistle-stop tour, but uh, very much didn't want anything to do with faith in God, certainly didn't want to follow Jesus with my life, uh, to being thrust right into the heart of a church plant in the center of Dublin in the early 90s, 93, 94, and uh, encountering the power of God, the Spirit of God, and deciding to follow Jesus for myself, so. Wow, that's amazing. Um, you sort of answered my second question, but um, looking back, what impact has Alpha had on the lives of people that attended in those days? I was one of them, and I know mm. there's a few people out there that also were on one of those Alpha <laughs> courses, and where God has them today, I got a firm warning from Emily to tell no stories, or, or on Claire, or any of those wonderful days. I suppose uh, we, there was a period of time, I suppose, and if anyone wants to ask me about this, I can do my best to answer, but you know, basically, the St. Catharines is where it is today because of Alpha, really, ultimately. It was, it, the, the church was grown off of the back of running um, sometimes two, three Alpha courses a year for a really, really, at a significant moment in the life of the church. And, um, you know, Alpha doesn't tick every box, but in that window of time, Alpha was a hugely significant tool uh, for us uh, as a local church. As we were trying to find our way and trying to figure out what does it mean to engage with culture and society around um, issues and questions of faith. And uh, I think then it, what it taught us, going back to your question, is meals are like miles. If you can eat with people while you're exploring faith, you go somewhere completely different than if, you're, if it's just an idea, uh, you know, a worldview you're exploring. And, and uh, so that was a difference between Alpha then and Alpha now when we were running it um, online, for example, during the pandemic. As a church, we found ourselves unable at times to make that bridge of people dis discovering faith um, but actually realizing that we're called to give expression to that faith in community with other people in the power of the Spirit. And that was the thing in this, that's the, the big question we've got at the moment. How do we, actually, how do we see that happen again? How do we draw people into expression, into community? Um, but I think that was it. Food is, um, meals are like miles. That was a big thing. And I think being unashamed of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit I think that a lot of the time, you know, the temptation is, is um, 
to maybe tuck away the Holy Spirit talks or the, to not make a big de- as big a deal about it, but I suppose what we saw again and again was when we explored the faith, why did Jesus die? You know, what, what does it mean for me to make the most of my life, the rest of my life? What purpose does my life have? Which is a lot of what the Alpha Course helps us to discover. When people encountered the power of the living God for themselves, it, you could see it kind of going, this is really real. And we need the Spirit. If, if we need the Spirit, we, I think we need the Spirit now more than ever, church. Um, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do without it. And the Holy Spirit is God. Not just some juju that we can command. But he, the Holy Spirit is equally and eternally God. And uh, yeah, we can't be the church without the Spirit. Yeah, I wow, I sound really convincing there. That was good. <laughs> I know, I just, I testify to that, that two things were food. I think the reason I came to Alpha with my friend down there, Claire, was because we were going to be fed on a Thursday night. That was number one. And then number two was the power of the Holy Spirit at the Holy Spirit weekend. They were the two things that would sum up Alpha for me. So um, I just, yeah, it's great. I became a Christian one bowl of chili at a time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, we could talk all day. I'll just pray for you before we start Mm. and um, hand over to you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for um, where you've taken Owen and um, what you've prepared in his heart to share with us this morning. I pray you'd fill him with your Holy Spirit right now and that you give us ears to hear what it is you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible um, or a Bible on your phone, we're going to be looking at Mark's Gospel in a minute. So if you want to kind of find that and uh, get your, find your way. So I get my notes out here. So if I click this on, will this work? Yeah, this is what I'm going to be, and the title that the team have given me to speak on uh, this morning. Well, it's a real honor uh, to be here and to have an even greater privilege to have been asked uh, to speak by the conference team. And this is the title that Emily and the conference team uh, have asked me to share about briefly. Envisioning a church for mission. Envisioning a church for a mission. And so for the next three hours, <laughs> I'm going to speak to this title through the lens of a portion of Mark's gospel that straddles the end of chapter four, the beginning of chapter five, because I think ultimately I've chosen a text that I think speaks right to this, the heart of the matter. What does it mean to be envisioned for mission? Um, So before we jump into my prep, uh, let me read for us from Mark chapter four. And I'm going to read starting at verse 35, if you'd like to follow along. Hopefully it's not too different. I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. I hope that's not too different from what you've got. And I'm gonna go right the way through to verse eight of chapter five. So Luke, uh, sorry, Mark chapter four, beginning at Verse 35, Jesus calms the storm. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. 
the disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and waves obey him. So they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasene, where Jesus climbed out of the boat. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the cemetery to meet them. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. All language of worship. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, we don't have to explain anything to you. You know us completely. You know our temperaments, what makes us tick, our strengths and weaknesses. You know our contexts, our relationships, and you know the extent and limitations of our resources. You know the challenges and the breakthroughs that we're faced, we have faced and are facing. You know what we most need, where we most need help, and you know what we need to learn next. And we ask, Lord, not just in the next 20 minutes, but over the next day, there's the course, throughout the course of the day, you teach us more about what it means to work and walk with you as you renew all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his kingdom's sake. Amen. So, I, uh, chaos out on the water is followed by chaos back on the shore. And through the the crucible of this discipleship moment, we are invited by the gospel writer to learn more about the relationship between identity and influence. Identity and influence. And if there's just literally one thing that you take away from this session, let it be this, okay? Before we can focus on the activity of mission, before we can focus on the activity of mission and learn what it means to be empowered to do mission, What does it mean to be envisioned to do mission? We have got to be sure that we have got a grasp on the identity that we carry with us that empowers mission. The relationship between identity and influence is key for this conversation. So often when the church visits and revisits this story from Mark 4 and 5, I think the focus tends to land quite unfairly on the disciples and how they mishandle 
a few difficult situations and what comes out of them at that point, particularly in terms of speech. But as I've prepared for this morning where I have found my thoughts anchored more and more is in repeating Jesus' words here over again and again in my head in terms of what it is that comes out of him at this moment, particularly in terms of what it is he says. It'll be an interesting exercise for you just to go through this again over the weekend, next week, just looking at what it is that Jesus is saying and the significance of that. And as we start out reflecting on this text for a few minutes, I think a really helpful question is this. Why was Jesus response to the very same threat so different to that of the disciples. He was there in the boat. He was there on the shore. Why did he respond so differently? One answer to the question as I see it is this. Mark isn't presenting us, and I don't want to step on any toes here, but the picture that we're being presented here by Mark, um, it's not of Jesus the magician up to his tricks again, his supernatural signs and wonders. Those in and of themselves are not the kingdom. They're signs that point us to who Jesus is and that what the inbreaking power and significance of the rule and reign of God looks like in our midst. I think that what Mark is wanting to show us here is that Jesus is the model for what it looks like for a human being in right relationship with God operating out of a secure identity, what that looks like. What it looks like for a human being to operate out of a secure identity. That's one of the things that we can see that Jesus' life and ministry is ultimately all about. Jesus' speech and action is rooted, it's linked to knowing who he is. Do we know who we are? Do we know who's we are, this is, I want to suggest, an important piece to what it means to being envisioned or re-envisioned for mission. Knowing our identity. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? And the significance of that. Mark has already gone to great lengths to describe this dynamic truth around identity for us. In chapter one, if you've got the scriptures in front of you, you wanna go back. At this moment of Jesus' baptism, Mark goes to great lengths to show us the heavens are split apart. And the same language is used there as the moment of Jesus' death when the temple curtain is torn in two. Something that was previously closed is now open. Hugely significant language here in the Greek. The Spirit descends like a dove and the Father's voice confirms Jesus as his dearly beloved Son who brings him joy. And just in terms of our kind of engagement with Mark's gospel, everything else that we can see and hear from that point forward is ultimately the result of Jesus living out of the identity the Father confirms at his baptism. Jesus knows he is loved. Jesus knows he brings the Father joy. And it's out of that place, that core identity, as it were, that he says and does everything that Mark is so keen for us to hear about. But what about us? 
I was, when I was worshiping, I was looking at the, the, the pull-up here, the, the poster, share your joy. What an incredibly helpful way of communicating it. What about us? Is our missional activity rooted in this same sense of identity? Take a moment to reflect on that. Is our engagement with culture and society, when people have been with the church, do they have that sense of our identity being rooted in the love and joy of the Father? One of the most amazing things about this text is that it doesn't just clarify things for us in terms of who Jesus is, what Jesus said and did. It also clarifies for us what that means for our lives too. Because as his disciples, as his followers, we are called, invited to walk in the very same way. We are in Christ. Hello? We are in Christ. Jesus' story is our story. The stories of our lives are rewritten into his. And the Spirit of God enables us to stand with Jesus in relation to the Father. And everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. That's the gospel. That's the joy. Everything that is true of Jesus is true of you because you are in Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about this dynamic truth as well. You are a new creation. Like the temple curtain, like that moment the heavens are split open, something that was no, wasn't possible before is now possible because of Jesus. Hello? Are you with me? You are loved. You bring the Father great joy. Hello? Break eye contact with the pastor. (laughs) We are, each of us, fellow agents in the kingdom on family business. Ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven, the hymn hymn writer says. Each of us invited to join in with what God is doing in his renewal of all things here in this incredible city and in this incredible country. Wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Tried it, didn't work out. What an amazing place to be a Christian in 2022 in Ireland. As that Tolkien said, at the turning of the tide. This is the extraordinary privilege of being a Christian. And in the same way that Jesus' identity was affirmed and solidified before his mission, ultimately we need to hear again, be reminded that any or all of our missional activity needs to be rooted in this same sense of secure identity, of love and adoption, 
the most, the best tool that we have to bring is our changed lives. What is it in John 4? The woman at the well says, come and meet the man who told me my whole life. It's not a gospel just of information, it's a gospel of transformation. And I believe the local church really is the hope of the world. But is that the case? When people are with us and when they encounter the local church in action, do they come into a contact with people who are rooted in love and joy? The love and joy of the Father? Maybe a slightly harder question to sit with. Living out of our true identities will always ultimately end, lead to us bearing fruit and having influence. And, but this is important for us to register. If you've got the text in front of you, maybe just steer your eyes across, your attention across to the beginning of chapter five. Because the bottom line is that in, in saying yes to Jesus, and in what the Father is doing to renew all things. That will often lead us to doing surprising things in surprising places and with unlikely people. It doesn't always look like what we expect or even want it to be to look like. It's like the opposite of the Ron Seal tin. Some of you are not old enough to get that. And I've just realized how exposing I've just. <laughs> but this dynamic truth is something that chapter five brings into even greater clarity for us. And I wanna spend just another few moments unpacking it for us. If you've got the Bible open in front of you. Now the point, just a couple of back, some background things here. The point where Jesus comes ashore here in chapter five was part of a region called uh, the Decapolis. Ten, imagine this, uh, kind of like a smattering of ten Gentile towns that were heavily influenced by Greek values, practices, and thinking. And in the decades leading up to the ministry of Jesus, this whole area had essentially become a staging post or a logistic center for the entirety of the Roman legions that were occupying Israel. And that's why there was people herding thousands of pigs there, enough to feed an army. And we see that getting unpacked towards the end of this passage. And this is the part I want us to labor with together. It's incredibly hard for us to understand how little the disciples would have wanted to go there and how ultimately horrifying and strange it would have been for them to have realized that's exactly where Jesus was taking them. It was an unclean land full of unclean people, unclean animals, and a base for the occupying unclean Roman rulers that were oppressing them. This was enemy territory. And then, as if to sum it all up, these regional powers are summed up in this monster of a man that comes attacking them as soon as they arrive. Unclean from living amongst the dead. It's an incredible metaphor for culture. P 
people looking for solace amongst the dead. One of the biggest points of learning here in Mark chapter five, as I see it, is this. There is no place or people that are off limits to God's inbreaking presence, his kingdom rule. And his grace is to be declared and delivered far and wide to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Nothing puts Jesus off. Nothing prevents him from having what he wants and who he wants. I mentioned it briefly, that's my story. I would say on the outside, I was a, why bother? But thankfully, that's not the heart of God. And if the gospel is, like, is, is for someone like me, as rough and as out there, well then it's for everybody. If there's room in God's heart for someone like me, well we just have to go. We have to go everywhere. I suppose the picture I'm trying to create here as I close is ultimately this. This is what operating out of a secure identity looks like. It means going to places we never even imagined going. It means having influence in the lives of people we never thought it was possible to know and meet. I know that's my experience of working here in the Liberties. People I never thought I would get to work amongst are now my friends and are exploring faith with us, even if they don't know it yet. And I think it's important in, the, in, in history, I think the church has often just immediately assumed that to follow Jesus to live like this, we have to get on a boat or a plane and go to the opposite side of the world. But I just want to be clear with you today, that's, that's not really the only outcome that is, that is required. For some people, some people even in this room, I believe, as I was praying and preparing, some of you have, some of you sense a call to foreign missions. And if that's you, I'd love to be able to pray for you later, but I sense there is a, more than one person in the room today who feels called to foreign missions. If that's you, I'd love to be able to pray for you and to prophesy over you. But that's not what this is ultimately all about. Mark 4 and 5 signal to us the wide call of the Father to go in love to the margins of every Irish town and city, to the places that nice people don't go, to the people that nice people don't go to, just like me. But they're the places the Savior goes, who is renewing all things. It is the wide call of the Father to go in love to our families, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, and whoever God will show us. But the question is this, are we willing? Are you? Are you willing? I'm gonna labor on this at the risk of offending people. I don't just mean are you willing to drive to Dublin, get donuts and coffee and hear some teaching. Because this, this is an important tool, it's an important day. But it's the nitty gritty of 24 seven that the kingdom of God is ultimately all about. We need these pit stops, we need these resourcing moments. But this isn't it. 
It's the school gate. It's the break room. It's the bus stop. It's those conversations with a neighbor where we need to be brave and courageous. This is one of the crucial takeaway questions waiting for us. Are we willing to go with Jesus into enemy territory? Are you? Where is your Decapolis? Who are the people that Jesus is sending you to? Are we open to having influence in places and with people that we'd rather not be associated with? That's something I can relate to incredibly personally as I try to understand the behavior of crack users in the back. And the training I've been doing down in Merchant's Key recently, trying to understand how do I move in compassion toward people who are at eight o'clock in the morning smoking crack pipes around here. I feel totally out of my depth. But if we don't go, who will? If we don't love, who will? Will we join him as he seeks and saves those who are far off, those who don't even know they need or want him, those places that are avoided and written off, the places in our culture and society that people think are God-forsaken? We need to go there. We need to go there. Will we work to bring order to chaos, stand up for the downtrodden, the poor and the lonely? Will we resist the works of the enemy, announce and demonstrate the kingdom in Jesus' name? This message from Mark 4 and 5 about identity and influence, it's, it's challenging. We can't sugarcoat it, but it speaks right to the heart of what it means for any church to be envisioned in mission. In knowing who we are, we find the confidence and discernment that we need to be present in the places he's giving us influence. You can't have one without the other. Will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Allow yourself just a moment of quiet as we begin to pray, as I ask these questions. These questions. Do you know the joy of the Father? Do you know that you are deeply loved? Where is Jesus taking you? Who is he leading you toward? Where is he giving you influence? Are you willing? Holy Spirit, come and rest on us now. Feel each one afresh with the power and the love of the Father. Remind us that we are loved by you, that we bring you joy. Speak to us now about the places you are calling us to and the people you are giving us influence with. We are willing to go wherever you lead, whatever that means. We are willing to trust you with whatever comes next. Lord, King Jesus. We are willing to try again where we, have, where we fear we have failed. Lord, envision your church for mission in this land. Hear the Lord's commissioning afresh to you again this morning.
go in the love and joy of the Father and the Son, filled with the Spirit to bring the love and joy of the Father and the Son into every part of Irish culture and society in the name of Jesus and for his kingdom's sake. Amen. Thanks for your time, everybody.